for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. May God bless his word. Let's bow in prayer right now. Father, we come before you to ask for your blessing on your word. Uh, Lord, we're so grateful that it pleased you by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And Father, along those lines, uh, it has pleased you uh, to use uh, imperfect people to preach your word, not just to see people saved, but to grow and equip your church. And I pray that you would help me today to articulate your word and most importantly to be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God so that as your word is preached, that it would be preached in truth so that the Spirit of God might make application, uh, help me to rightly divide your word, and then we pray your, your spirit would have free course among us. And again, Lord, we, we lift up the Damien and Micah to you and just ask for you to touch their bodies. Thank you for bringing Mr. Kerr home from the hospital. And uh, we just ask you to continue to bless him and heal him. And Lord, we ask your blessing on every aspect of this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And before we have our last song, you may be seated. I want also to remind you to be praying for Peg Willie. Um, She has not, do I understand, she still has the neck brace on, am I right? Yes. She was hoping that we'd get off, but she fell, broke her neck weeks ago, maybe months ago. And she's had to wear this collar And um, so please keep her in prayer. All right, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Thank you for being here. Last Sunday was Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day again to you moms. Hope you had a great day. The Sunday before that was, um, we did a message called Rejoice in the Lord. And we're going to do part two today. We're looking at the book of Philippians. And uh, what started it all was, of course, uh, the passing of Ron Hamilton, Patch the Pirate, very beloved uh, figure in our circles, and um, the story, in fact, we played it two weeks ago, we played the, somebody put together a montage of him singing Rejoice in the Lord over the years, and he, the first clip was him sharing the story of that when he lost his eye to cancer, um, he made this statement, he said, uh, a lot of people sent letters, and he, he said, um, I, pr- I pretty much camped out in the book of Philippians, and that was when the Lord gave him that verse. Uh, Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord Always, and that song, and it's a beautiful song. Um, And and during his funeral service, which, by the way, I want to encourage you, if you haven't watched it, you got to do it in parts. It's over two hours long, but I really want to encourage you to do it. Uh, If you have not watched it online, it's 
Livestream.com forward slash BJU forward slash Ron Hamilton. And it is a powerful, his funeral memorial service is so powerful. Um, About when he lost his eye to cancer. Uh, You know, and that family has had one tragedy after another, and yet they have rejoiced, genuinely rejoiced in the Lord through it all. And as I was watching that funeral and thinking about that song, um, you know, and I had shared with you two weeks ago that uh, with what's going on with my family, my parents, and my pastor was asking me about it, so I sent him an email. But before I sent it, you know, I typed it off, gave him the update, things are not good with my mom and dad. And, uh, and then I reread it, and I thought, wow, that is so down. I mean, I just want to cry looking at it. And so I added some token, you know, but God is good. You know, like that's supposed to make everything all better, you know. But then I thought about Ron Hamilton's, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And all those things they went through. How the, the phrase, the word always. Stuck out in my mind. And as I was thinking of my email, the negative tone of my email, I thought, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Does that mean there's, like, we should never complain? Like, there's no place to, you know, utter a complaint. Is, is it that any time we complain that we are censuring God? Is there any place where we can bring our, you know, problems it's not all well you know it's not all a cheery world you know what does rejoice in the lord always mean that there's no place for us to express grief or sorrow and then the other verse that came to my mind during that time was first thessalonians 5 in everything in everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus and so the lord's been teaching me some things and so i decided to do what ron hamilton did and i i camped just an overnight camp maybe, or a week camp, in the book of Philippians. And by the way, I decided that as I've been, this is going to be like a trailer, I'm going to preach through the book of Philippians. You know, as I'm doing this, I'm like, this is such good stuff. And we just went through it two weeks ago, just kind of real scanned it. But here's what we want to see, that the Bible does say rejoice in the Lord always. Always. But that does not mean that we do not have an avenue for us to share our burdens, use the word complain. You know, now Israel, when Israel murmured and complained, theirs was wrong. Clearly, it provoked God. God judged them. And it tells us in the, in the Old Testament, it uses this phrase, that they complained and murmured against the Lord. And so that's different than you and I just saying, Lord, all is not well in my world. You know, it's okay to say that to God. You know, it's not like you're, hey, forget about all that. Just just keep on smiling, keep on smiling, pretend nothing's wrong. That's not what rejoice in the Lord always means. So we're going to go, first I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Three things, let me give you three points and we're just going to jump right in. First, we're going to go back and finish up what I started two weeks ago. The exhortation, rejoice in the Lord always. Then we're going to look at the escape. And there's a psalm, a verse in Psalms, which literally tells us that we can pour our heart out to God. He wants you to. He wants you to come to Him as you are. He wants you to express what's going on in your life. The Psalms are filled with that. 
And then I, I have a sne- sneaky suspicion that there's going to be a part three to this, <laughs> as I'm telling you. Uh, and so I think next week or the next time I preach, we're going to look at um, uh, we're going to look at the example of someone that wrestled with God, because we do that. You know what I'm talking about, right, Jacob? So let's jump in Philippians chapter one uh, or Philippians chapter four. Let me remind you: two weeks ago, the book of Philippians. Uh, Nine verses, 11 different times it uses the word rejoice throughout the whole book. And you'd think that if a book, a short book of just a few chapters, uses the word rejoice that many times, it must be such an upbeat, there must be nothing negative in the book of Philippians, and you would be wrong. In fact, it is a prison epistle. You know what that means? He wrote it in prison. And so we, went, we looked at this last time, two weeks ago, in Philippians 1, you don't need to turn there, but in verse 12, Paul is sharing the fact that this is a prison epistle. But, and he could park there and just say, I want to tell you how bad things are. I'm preaching the gospel, I'm doing right, I'm trying to, trying to help people, and look what happens to me. I get arrested, I'm in jail, I, can't, I'm, I'm, I lose my freedom. Please. Sorrow with me. Complain with me. This is just not right. Send petitions. Let's vote the right people into office. You know, this is... You can imagine him saying that. But listen to what he says, because this, this would set the tone for the entire book. He says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me, i.e., I'm in jail, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord are waxing confident by my bonds. So it's not that Paul, you know, buries his head in the sand and just ignores that, you know, there's things that are wrong in this world. But here's the thing, here's what he does. And he does this through the whole book. And I'm really looking forward to preaching through Philippians. He shares, in every scenario, and we went through this two weeks ago, he gives the bad situation. and there's a, there's a lot of bad situations. Every chapter he gives a bad situation. And then immediately challenges to rejoice in the Lord, just like he does here. And it is amazing. Here's the key. What he does, he set the pattern here. He's not saying all is good in the world. But he says, look at the good that came out of what happened. And that's where God wants us to park. He doesn't want us to ignore. Oh, I don't want any bad news. Don't tell me anything bad. No, there's a lot of bad in this world. And until Christ comes, it's going to continue to be that way. But you know what? God doesn't work. He doesn't cause all things to be good. But what does he do? He works all things together for good. And that's Paul's idea. So when Ron Hamilton wrote Rejoice in the Lord, we saw that man rejoice in the Lord when he had cancer and lost an eye. We saw that man rejoice in the Lord when, when his own son took his life. I mean, we so many things. We saw him rejoicing in the Lord when he had dementia in the early stages when he understood. He was rejoicing in the Lord. And you know what? We can do that too. It doesn't mean that we don't have an avenue to express sorrow. And sadness, we do. But look at look at chapter four now, or excuse me, chapter three. 
Because this, this is, we're just going to look at the end now. And this is a little, you know, this is what we're going to be looking at when we go through the book of Philippians. But look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. There's one of the, top, one of the 11 times he talks about rejoicing. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now look at verse 2. Beware of dogs. Now dogs was a derogatory term. The Jews would use it to the, toward the Gentiles, but uh, even the Gentiles, for example, in Homer's writings back in that time, they, he used the word dogs. It was, it was a derogatory term to people that you did not like. Uh, again, the Jews used it to the Gentiles, but um, it, it was not a flattering word because dogs were scavengers. When you and I think of dogs, we think of little Fifi, little Fluffy, right? And whatever your dog's name is. We love dogs, don't we? We do in America. I mean, even, I remember when we went to Liberia, that they were, they were like, I mean, I think Pastor John may have had a pet dog. But they also, do you know if he did gore? It doesn't matter. They did also have like dogs that went around scavenging. And so I got a little idea of that and you kind of kicked them out of the way. This was the way that, this term is used in that way. Beware of dogs. He's talking about people. Some think he's talking about the Judaizers. In fact, some people believe that, because he uses the word beware of this kind of people three times. Three different kinds of people. Or some think he's referring to the same group of people. Beware of dogs. Unconverted heathen, maybe. Beware of evil workers. Some think there's a play on the idea of workers in that they were people that made themselves workers of the gospel, but they were really false workers. Um, And then beware of the concision. Now, you know, to the Jew, and Paul was a Jew, the Pharisees, they proudly considered themselves they of the circumcision So many believe this was a derogatory term to the Judaizers who were people that believed and taught you had to be circumcised to be saved. Because then the next statement he says, we are the circumcision. In other words, people that are saved. So these terms, Paul is is warning these believers about dangers out there, about false teaching. And it was very grievous to Paul. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, Beware of the concision. Again, verse 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And then he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So here, once again, Paul's doing the pattern. He's sharing a bad situation. He's acknowledging and he's warning Beware, there's danger out there. But then he challenges us. And here's the point through Philippians. We'll, we'll, we'll see this. Paul never parks in the bad situation. And that's the problem with many of us. We park in the bad situation, don't we? You know, like something's going on and it, it, it goes over and over in our mind. And instead of meditating on the Lord or meditating on his word, we meditate on all the wrong things, right? Maybe things people said to us in the past or just bad circumstances or bad news. You know, we tend to just, we tend to ruminate, meditate on the bad situation. And Paul could have done this in any one of these things. These people, whoever they were, the dogs, the evil workers, the concision, these were people that caused him incredible consternation. 
fact, he wrote Corinthians and so many other books trying to defend his ministry against those in this category who would come in and undermine uh, and influence the people he was trying to minister to. So you know he could have parked there. He may have even had a restless night or two thinking about these people. But he would always, as soon as he brought out the bad scenario, he would always say, rejoice in the Lord. And that's what you and I, that's where we have to do. And that's what it means by rejoice in the Lord always. It's not like nothing negative must ever cross your mouth. That's not what he's saying. Or, you know, we can't acknowledge there's no bad in the world. Let's pretend there's no sin. Let's pretend there's no curse. He's not saying that. But he is saying that, folks, no matter what goes on, good what will come out of it and can come out of it. That's what God, God is good. And he has not, he's not culminated things where he is, it's not the end of the world yet where he has, you know, put away sin and we have our new bodies, our glorified bodies, and there's no more sin and suffering and death. That is going to happen in Revelation. Isn't that a blessing? It's going to wipe away every tear. It's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. He could have already made that happen, but he didn't. Because there's still people that need to get saved. So we need to keep this condition right now for a little while. This sinful world with the curse. But I want you to know that God is very involved in working things so that good can come out of whatever bad is going on in your life. And we have to look for that. We have to look for that. Let's go to Psalm 62. So, is it always wrong? Is it ever wrong to complain? Yes, it is. It is wrong to complain if it's against the Lord. But do we have an avenue, when you're really hurting and you're really struggling, when you're not doing well, um, is there a place you can go? Is it ever right to share with someone, I'm not doing well? Or, or you know, are we in danger of pulling other people down? Well, some people, that's all they do, right? And we need to be careful. I'm convinced, and I see this in others more than I see it myself, which means, look out, lion, <laughs> that um, the people that complain all the time, a lot of them I know, they don't realize they're complaining all the time. So whenever I hear a, a complainer, a continuous complainer, I'm like, Oh, Lord, do I do that? Do I do that? I'm going to complain that I do that. You know, I mean, <laughs> so we got to be careful. So look at Psalm, look at Psalm 62 now. This is an amazing, this, this passage has been such a blessing to me. Trust, and we're just going to look at verse 8, okay? I don't have time to expand the whole, we'll probably come back to this Psalm sometime, but look at Psalm 62 and verse 8. Trust in him at all times. Kind of like rejoice in the Lord always. And it's kind of like in everything give thanks. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Now look at this. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Remember that? That's a musical rest. It's like whenever it's written in the Psalms, there's a profound truth being imparted that the writer, the psalmist, just wants it to hang out there for a little bit. Let it sink in. And, and so what is he? What do we have the rest? Again, trust in him at all times, people. Pour out your heart 
before Him. God is a refuge for us. Wow. Isn't that amazing? He's telling us, pour out your heart. And I share, I got a, there's a, there's a, a video series that's, that my wife actually sent me. It's, it's to pastors. They're little, you know, YouTube's becoming very popular with these shorts because we have such a short attention span. Who can watch, like, you know, how many people are going to go back and watch our whole church service? Not many. But when you post these three to six minute videos, people watch them because we, again, our attention span. And I'm, I'm fitting there. This, this is designed for pastors. What, there's something I can listen to in three to five minutes? And it's been a blessing. Now, it's from a ministry that I, I can't support the whole ministry. In fact, before I used to, I used to just do nothing but kind of, this is, this is a dangerous ministry. You got to be careful of it. And uh, it reminded me one time of a pastor's wife was talking about Richard Simmons. You all know Richard Simmons. Now, Richard Simmons, I've never used him as an example of what biblical manliness should be like to our church, okay? Um, but, but this dear lady, uh, she appreciated Richard Simmons because he helps people to lose weight, and she really benefited from him. And so she was saying, she was saying good things about Richard Simmons, and both her husband and I are listening like, what are you talking about? But we didn't, because we realized what she was saying. She understands there's things about Richard Simmons that are not exemplary. Uh, but she was sympathetic. And, and I say this with this ministry that, you know, I've really been getting blessed by these videos. So I'm not going to tell you where they're from or who. I'm not going to trash anyone because they've been a blessing to me. So anyway, this one pastor, um, he made this statement. He's talking about this psalm. And he said, you know, our approach, and I'm guilty of this too, our approach to things sometimes tends to be, all right, here's your problem. I'll give you the biblical cure. Like, you know, teaching that, you know, there's some truth. There's some Bible passage that's going to help you, and it's going to fix everything. And so here's the cure. And a lot of Psalms will do that, you know, where it just gives the instruction. But this, this pastor said, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't get it wrong. He said, it seems, though, that the Scripture has a more intensely personal way to move in. For example, while giving instruction to us, the Psalms, seems, the Psalms seem to have this implicit question before them. Tell me what's on your heart. What's the verse say? Pour out your heart. He says that's the beginning of the conversation. God says, tell me what's on your heart. He's the God that knows our heart, by the way. Doesn't he? He knows our heart more than we know our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can know it. And yet, what is the Psalms? The Psalms are David or Asaph or someone else pouring out their heart to God. Just, just it's, it's like a human relationship. Those of you that have wives or husbands, you know, when you have communication and fellowship going on, a lot of times your conversations aren't to tell you anything new. At the end of the day, you come home and say, tell me about your day. And, and there's, it's fellowship. And, and you pour out your heart. And that's what God is telling us to do with Him. Again, pour out your heart, folks. Complaining. Now, when, when Israel complained, they murmured. It was against the Lord. But that's not saying... 
that it's wrong to bring your complaint. By the way, what is a complaint? I looked up, by the, I looked up complain. And it is to give expression to sorrow and suffering. Is that ever right? You ever read the Psalms? The Psalms are going through the valley of deep despair and just crying out to God. And, and, and some of the Psalms, folks, when you're going through a hard time, I find the, most, the best place to go when I'm struggling emotionally is the book of Psalms. And sometimes you just find the right Psalm and you just read it and it's like, that's what I'm feeling. But you know what that's saying? God wants to hear your expression of sorrow and suffering, your complaint. He wants you to, he wants you to pour it out. By the way, uh, there's a bunch of definitions of complain, and I'm not going to give them all to you, though I know you would want to hear every one of them. But one of them is a nautical term, which means the word complain is used in a nautical sense, and it means to groan or creak from overstraining. <laughs> you ever been there? You ever been there where you're groaning and you're, you, you just, you know, Paul was there. Paul said we were pressed out of measure above strength so that we despaired of life. You know, sometimes we, we complain, we, we creak. We, again, we are groaning or creaking from overstraining. What do you do? You tell it to God. You pour out your heart to God. God is not up there saying, what? You have problems? I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. No, God says, pour out your heart to him. Too many times we don't do that. In fact, I think that the less we do that, the more we probably complain just generally to other people, maybe without realizing it. God wants us to pour our heart out to him. That's our avenue of escape. That's our avenue to, to release, to, to let God know. Have you done that lately? Have you poured your heart out to the Lord? Charlie this morning went to 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and, and um, brought some really good points about that verse. Remember it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Uh, who, God, will not, God is faithful. He will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to Bear it. The word bear it has the idea of endure. Now, you know, I thought about this as Charlie was talking. We like the escape clause. That's our prayer. Lord, get me out of this fix. Lord, remove this problem. But remember what patience is. Remember the Greek, the compound word for patience in the Greek that's translated patience in English is to remain under. Hupomeno. To remain under. And that's sometimes God... Like Paul with the thorn in the flesh. Lord, remove this. I don't want to be under it. And what was, Paul, what was God's answer? No, I'm keeping it there. What? That's not a help. That's no escape. No, escape that you may be able to bear it or endure it. See, it's not always about deliverance or removing a problem. It's all about the experience of what God is doing and growing us through it. And if we focus on, Lord, when, I'm, when the, we talk about the light at the end of the tunnel, that means you're out from under the problem, right? Imagine the long tunnel, and it, the, the tunnel is the problem hanging over you. And what does the Lord say when we're suffering? He, his challenge is he wants us to bear 
up under it. He wants us to stay there. And sometimes we only look at answered prayer as the light at the end of the tunnel. Boy, wait, wait till that light gets here. What about the drive through the tunnel? Has God abandoned you? Is there something God is trying to teach you while you're in that tunnel? Yeah, there is. He wants to walk, he wants to walk with you through it. And since you and I don't know how long that tunnel is, the point is, the idea of, you know, he'll give a way to escape. First of all, is he's not going to put a temptation on you that there's just no way you can, you can overcome it. His grace is one of those ways to sustain us. But I want to remind you that it's through that time that God wants, he says, pour out your heart to me. That's the important, for some reason, the God of heaven feels that it's important, and this was the point that that pastor made in that three-minute clip, for some reason, the God of heaven thinks it's important for us to pour out our heart to him, even though he already knows what's going on in our heart. In fact, he could tell us better than we can. So it's not a matter of information sharing. Hey, Lord, let me tell you what happened to me today. But he wants you to tell him what happened to you. He wants you to communicate that with him. That is important to him. And so he says, again, pour out your heart unto him. Do you do that? Do you pour out your heart unto God? I don't know if you've ever heard of Rosario Butterfield, and it's not a syrup topping. Um, she is a gal that, uh, in fact, you look her up online, she's written uh, several books, and she says she decided to be a lesbian from the age of 28 to 36, and that's how she identified, and then she became a, a born-again believer. Um, and, and she has an interesting take uh, in that um, she doesn't call herself ex-gay, Although she's no longer gay, she, does, she identifies herself as a born-again believer, as a Christian. And she brings out some points that are very important. And because there'll be some people that will get, some people that were homosexual or transgender or some of the different battles, and they will not in their life give complete victory. In other words, her point was this. We look at, and she, and she slammed conversion therapy, but not for the reasons you think. You know what conversion therapy is? Someone, let's say you're a Christian, and you're struggling with same-sex attraction, and you don't want to, you know that it's wrong, so you go see counseling, and the, the challenge of some is, you will be done this counseling, and success will be when you no longer have that attraction. And you're now heterosexual. And her point is, there are some Christians that are saved and spend their whole life battling that, that whatever it is, but they can still be in fellowship with God. They can still resist temptation. They can still experience sanctification. And she brings out a very good point. Because too many times, I think, we can get fixated on the cure, like, okay, there's a problem, and the only legitimate answer is to remove the problem, and then my prayers are answered. And God's saying, wait a minute. What about life? What about, my, what about walking with me? 
That's why I've put this in your life. I'm growing you. I'm molding you. And I want you to experience daily, temp- uh, daily um, dependence, not temptation. Although that will happen. But I, you know, he's saying, I want you to be dependent upon me. This, I'm in it for the relationship. That's what I'm in it for. Remember Job? Some of you don't know who Job is. He's a guy that had a really hard time for a little while. You remember that? Um, and, and Job, when you go through Job, the book of Job is considered one of, the, one of the wisdom literatures. And it's a little separate from Proverbs and Psalms in that it's, at least I remember in Bible school, they said it's the deeper wisdom. And uh, believe me, Job plumbed, Job went deep, didn't he? And it's interesting because Job poured his heart out to God, didn't he not? Folks, there's some things when you read in the book of Job where he complained, didn't he? I mean, remember what complaining is again? Let's think of this in relationship to Job. It's to give expression to sorrow or suffering. Sorrow or suffering, to give expression. Or again, the nautical to groan or creak from overstraining. Job did that, didn't he? And you know, through, through so many books of Job, through, through so much of that time, he just wanted an audience with God. I just want to ask God, why are you doing this? He needed to make sense of it all. You know, and the Lord prolonged that. But then do you remember that God finally answered Job or spoke to him at the end. And you know how many questions? Because Job's the book of Job is filled with dozens and dozens of Job's questions. You know how many of Job's questions God had on his checklist that he went through and answered? Zero. In fact, you know what's interesting? He turned around and asked Job 70 questions of his own. Wait a minute, what? that's not what Job was looking for. But you see, when it was all done, Job was satisfied. Because he realized it wasn't all about me getting answers. It was that there's a God that I can trust even when I don't know what's going on. He's good. And I need to... And Job did. Job served God because he was God. And folks, I don't know what you're going through. But I, I submit to you that God has a reason for it. And if you and I are just looking like, i got to escape from this, and that's when my prayer will be answered, and that's when I'll be satisfied, then we're missing something. Because it's all about, what, what is God teaching you through this? He's growing you. I want you to learn about Him, to be more dependent upon Him. I read this story. This is a big blessing to me. Those African people always bless me, you know? Um, early African converts to Christianity were earnest in their regular and private devotions. Apparently, each one of them had a separate spot in the thicket where he would pour out his heart to God. In fact, over time, the paths to these places became well-worn. Imagine this, all these, you know, the Africans in the villages, and they all would have their private time, they'd go off, and they'd all have their special spot, so much so that, you know, every day you go to the same spot, you're, there's a path there. And so the believers who knew one another knew, okay, this is this person's path. So, now here's the danger. 
If one of the believers began to neglect prayer, it soon became very apparent to everyone else. Because the grass began to grow. And so they would kindly remind the negligent one. And here's what they would say. Brother, the grass grows on your path. <laughs> you know, that's like, talk about a rebuke, you know. That's, but what a nice way to say, because we need to be encouraging one another to spend time in prayer. Our quiet time with the Lord. Does grass grow? Under your path. And if somebody came up to you and said, Brother, grass is growing under your path, that means that you know they know you're not praying and doing God's word and, and spending time in the book. And folks, that's what it's all about. Not so we can, you know, get this problem revealed or or answered. And yes, God does answer prayers. Praise God. Not always the way we want. In fact, often not the way we want. But let's look past that and realize that we have a good God that is in charge and he will never... Remember Pastor Dave Natalia, a precious friend. Uh, and you pray for him. He had heart surgery a while back. He's healing well. Started preaching again. But he, he, I, I can hear him say this to this day. He said, nothing comes through our hands. Nothing comes into our life that hasn't first passed through God's hands. That's a good way to say, you know, that God is working all things together for good, not causing all things for good. So he can hold things back, and he does. Does he not? In fact, why did the book of Job, the, the, the things that happened in chapter 1 and 2, where, where he lost everything, why did that happen in history? Because for just a time, God held back his hand. Well, no, he opened it up because it had to pass through his hand. But he lifted up the hedge. That's the way it's worded there. And so, first of all, realize this. It could be a whole lot worse than it is. Remember Paul in prison? He would eventually get imprisoned again and die for his faith. Worst case scenario was Paul's best case scenario. In fact, remember when he talked about that? The idea of maybe dying. He said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Well, he ended up getting that wish when he was martyred for his faith in a very horrible, brutal way, apparently. And what did he say? He said, that's far better. So what do you and I have to look forward to? If you're a child of God and you're born again, whatever you're going through, folks, someday we're going to be a part of that. He's going to wipe away all tear, all sorrow, all sickness, all pain, and you and I are going to spend eternity in glory. And we're probably going to say, boy, I wish I had rejoiced more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Forgive us for getting overwhelmed and not pouring our hearts out to you. Forgive us for those times when we murmur and complain against you instead of pouring our heart out to you. And Father, I pray that we would all be practiced in casting our cares upon you, which means, Father, that you want to hear what our cares are. You want to hear what our anxieties are. Father, it's okay. We don't need to mask or um, put a spin on things when we're struggling, when things are not okay. You want to hear that. You want us to articulate that.
So, Father, I pray that you would remind us of that and help us to do that more, that you are interested in our struggles, that we, you want us to communicate them to you. And, Father, we're so glad that then that next verse in Psalms, that you are our refuge. We can rest in that. Lord, help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand, take out our hymns. Remember, after the song, after we close the